Somebody once told me I was gonna host a podcast called Crying in the Book Club. My name is John Luke, and I'm your host for this week, and joined, as always, by Emily. That was beautiful. Well, Alex is here, and... Okay, I didn't get further than that. Anyway, hello, I'm John Luke. Emily and Alex are here. Welcome to Crying in the Book Club, episode 36. This is one of those rare moments. I mean, you always hear it. You always hear people being like, oh, we should do a song parody to start off our show, but they never do it. And when they do, it's scripted. And I don't think that was scripted. It That was off the cuff. <laughs> I, well, it was scripted in the sense that I, I woke up this morning and about two hours after I woke up, I was like, maybe I should do a bit for the start of the podcast. And I decided on the bit roughly 45 minutes ago Nice. and didn't think about how I was going to do it. But, I, you know, I think it worked. I'd say, I mean, that's that's a lot of thinking for a bit then. That's great. That was incredible. I, that that delighted me uh, to my core, Jean Luc. Thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm happy to. I I'm my, I exist to please my co-hosts. <laughs> that that's what I was put on this earth for. That's really the point of podcasting. Well, success, of course. Speaking of my co-hosts, how are they doing? I'm doing pretty good. good I was going to say you'd have to ask them, but I realized you kind of did. So that was, <laughs> I, yeah. Yes, uh, that was the point of that. I'd say me and Emily are we're both wearing comfortable things. I just realized that what Emily's wearing is an it's it's from the movie Barbie. It's an I am Kenuff thing. It, it sure looks it looks very is. comfy. It looks very oh, it's comfy. It's so fucking cozy. And I'm so this is like the first day that it has been uh even remotely cool enough uh to justify wearing a cozy hoodie. So I am doing it. Yeah. Jean-Luc's I wonder what John Luke has gone to get. I was gonna go put on something cozy, but I think my hoodie—the uh, only hoodie I own—is in the washing. Where's machine, your so. Chewbacca onesie? Not, not here. That is in my closet, um, in my bedroom at my parents' house. <laughs> I should have brought it with me, though. I, but I just assume it went with you everywhere. No, 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 no. When you take off your clothes, it's just Chewbacca onesie. The Chewbacca onesie is. John's it, actually yeah. a never nude, but instead of wearing <laughs> jean shorts, that's what he wears. <laughs> Uh, uh yeah I, whatever that means that's yeah sure totally oh it's it's from arrested development oh wow jen luke is a famous sitcom lover yeah i enjoyer of sitcoms that's me yep. i don't make jokes for john luke to understand them it's true that's what i'm here for yeah yep make one joke for me for my pleasure okay um uh, Diane Feinstein died today. Oh yeah, I was saving that for my cry space, but you, you're getting ahead of uh, you're, <laughs> you're getting ahead of you're getting ahead of things, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It was funnier when she was ah uh, fuck. I, because of the nature of my job, there are things that I if I say on a podcast, I have to edit out. <laughs> and you don't want to make more work for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll if you listen all the way, if my boss. Or the HR department uh, listens all the way to the cry space. Then you know what? Props to you. Uh, you'll hear. You might hear some review. stuff. Give us a review, please. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna do that, five please stars. at least leave a leave a five star review on iTunes, uh, yeah. Apple Podcasts. Excuse me. Yes. I don't want to fuck up the branding. But we are here. Welcome to October. It's Ooh, October. 
it basically is October. We're not that far ahead anymore. So like it's uh it's spooky season. Yeah. Yeah. It is spooky season. Are you guys celebrating spooky season? Oh yeah. I'd like to think so. Nice. Now there's nothing specific I'm doing, but I'd like to think so. Okay. You know, I'll watch over the garden wall. Yeah, I I haven't done my. You watch the Blues Clues Halloween special too. Is is this a dig? I mean, I will. Is this or or does the or does that slap? Or is is this a recommendation? I don't know. I'm making a joke about how it's for babies, but yeah, clearly did not land. It it somewhat did, but part of me was thinking you 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 had some you had some info. yeah I'm a I'm a big a blues, blues clues fan yeah I'm the the only 26 year old blues clues fan Sean Luke's looking for blues clues Sean unfortunately I don't think clues. that's true no I I, I, I shouldn't shout over the garden wall I actually think it's pretty good it's also yeah. definitely not true because I've definitely seen like blues clues fan art on Twitter well it, yeah it, I mean there was a big thing a couple or a year ago when they were doing a blues clues like multiverse thing right where they had all all, all the all the guys from blues clues and they came together for a movie oh yeah I was like what the fuck are you talking about but yeah thing, yeah I thought you meant like a I was thinking like a multiverse of the dog I oh, so no. I well, I was very confused but uh, yeah. no. well as a person with a nine to five paying job I don't go to recess anymore so I don't hear about these developments. I because guess. like on, on one hand, John Luke's job is like, uh oh, I sh- this is bad. I shouldn't be, you know, listening to this. And the other hand, it's like, oh, but he's such a good employee. So they might they're they're getting both sides. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Which is I, I have a meeting every other week where they tell me I'm doing a great job, and then I go back to playing video games for five hours. Okay, well now <laughs> I'm gonna cut that. Said on this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Uh-huh. Oh, it's all yeah, it's, it's, it's all real. jokes. Yeah, we're really yeah. funny. We're really funny. We're playing you characters. We play characters on this podcast that are not like us. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in fact, the biggest adult fan of animation. I love watching Cartoon Network shows. I love the way you said animation. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it's on Nickelodeon, even better. DreamWorks is my favorite movie studio. Um, I think Pixar makes some really good points and some really heavy-hitting movies about some deep topics. This is a real... We're... It's a really weird tone for this episode specifically, I have to say. Yeah, we're talking about The Crow, which is a a book about how a guy watches his fiance get murdered and raped, gets shot in the head, and then does uh, 200 pages of murder. Well, it's interesting because he doesn't actually see that happen or he kind of like so he does actually this is the thing there's like that bit where like the police officer says well at least you didn't have to watch your fiance get raped and murdered but inside he's like oh well actually i I didn't die i was just paralyzed so i actually did see and hear that happen i I thought he saw and heard it using some crow shit after i didn't know it was in the moment no i don't think that's one of the moments he was reliving with the the uh, apparent like flashback mechanic of of the crow uh, superpowers. Anyway, you know I it, I shouldn't make light of it. It's a very serious book about how the guy's wife died. I'm no. But, I mean, I'm gonna. I have like some. I have like thoughts and comments about this book. So I uh, laughed the entire time. I won't say that. <laughs> there are some I, funny bits. I did admittedly uh, read out some lines from this book in like a very melodramatic voice for Gwen uh, as I was uh-huh. reading. Did they appreciate that? Uh, yeah, they thought it was pretty funny. It's 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 pretty wild that 1989 is close to the 90s. You know, 
That's that's what I got to say about this book. It's very, it's, it's interesting it's how remarkable. it's remarkable. Just like it's interesting how temporally those are related. 1989 and 1990 are somewhat related concepts. Yeah, and 1984. You know what I'm saying? Uh, ooh. Whoa! Ooh. We'll get to uh, that. I will say before I get into it, there are some funny things in this book. But the funniest thing about this book is that on the Wikipedia entry for the character, the crow, oh under powers, it says cat-like reflexes, which. In my opinion, that does not appear in the book. I think that's just the thing where, like, he has a cat. He's like a goth guy with a cat, which, you know, oh, who's amongst us? Am I right? I mean, I guess us? he does seem like he probably has good reflexes. I mean, he definitely has good I would reflexes. Say if in he had bad reflexes. But, like, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, I was not actually making a joke earlier when I said that the crow was about. Uh, the creator's dead fiance. No, um, it would have been a weird joke. I, I mean, yeah, it, it was. Yeah. It was. I said it in a joking tone, but it is actually true. Uh, it's it's the crow is written and drawn by a guy called James O'Barr, who is, uh, you know, known for a lot of comics beyond the crow. But the crow was like his breakout book, really. This is literally yeah, he, all I know him for. Oh no, I, he did a bunch uh, of stuff for Dark Horse, like all the way into the early two thousands. He he does like independent stuff now. He doesn't. I read an interview with him from like 2014 where he said that he's too old to uh, sign away his IP rights. But uh, after The Crow came out, he was like, he was kind of like an indie darling in the 90s, I guess. Uh, I Neil mean, I Adams approached that. Neil Adams like approached him to write Batman and then he gave Batman guns and they were like, uh, we can't do that. So I, I think, they, in my that, opinion, they should let him do like a black label Batman book where Batman cool. has guns. I'd, I'd be down it's, for that. It's ironic because it, f- fucking Batman Odyssey, which is a, a trip of a book that Neil Adams wrote. It's Batman. He's just got guns. He just, he, I mean, he's got more than guns. That book is, you know, we should read it for the show, but it's honestly going to be one of the hardest things to get there just because it's like such a, so Neil much. Neil Adams was a weird a dude. Uh, Neil Adams was a great writer, but Odyssey, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Alex, but wasn't Odyssey the book he released in like 2017 or something? Yeah, that was the, that, that was, was like his. It. Yeah, it was. I, I, I remember reading one issue and uh, bouncing off of that it's one. Special, I, I think brain rot, but also I think kind of would be interesting to read. So interesting. Well, brain rot is always interesting. Uh, speaking of brain rot, uh, the crow is inspired by uh, James O'Barr's real life fiance being killed in a drunk driving incident. Uh, and he wrote the book, I guess, as a as a coping mechanism for that. I mean, th- this is not me and like doing conjecture. Like he you has said can that. Tell. Yeah, he, he has said this that like the book was how he, you know, one of the ways he he coped with the you know obviously very tragic death of, of his then fiance. And it's also um, mentioned in the foreword. Yeah. yeah, it is as well. Um, so it was uh, It was published originally between 1989 and 1993 in kind of a weird order. Uh, issues one through four were published in 89 and 90. And then issue five wasn't released until the book was uh, collected in a trade by a different publisher years later. Uh, in the meantime, there were some like interstitial short stories that have been reinserted into the, the trade uh, not in the order of publication, but in, in the order that is more conducive to the narrative. So, if you get a, if you read a trade copy of the Crow, like you're gonna read it the way it was meant to be read. But the release of this book was really kind of scattershot and, and messy. And I, I think now IDW owns it, but it is 
passed through a lot of different hands uh, over the years because it was like a true indie when it came out. It it isn't like even though it's often thought of as being part of like the same movement as like you know James O'Barr is like someone who's like kind of you know I considered a tier below in terms of popularity like Moore and Gaiman and Frank Miller and those guys. But like it's the same, and you can tell it is from like the same movement of those like mid to late 80s uh, comic book writers. Um, similarly to, I mean, I just mentioned more, but similarly to Watchmen, uh, each issues contains uh, either uh, excerpts from real life poetry or song lyrics that kind of bookend each of the issues. Uh, they also, uh, also a lot of the tone and aesthetic are inspired by the, post-punk and and goth musical movements of the late 80s um bands like Bauhaus, Joy Division uh although I was going to say The Cure but I in an interview I read with James O'Barr he said that it actually wasn't so much inspired by The Cure that is something that was like I guess he was kind of annoyed because there's a lot of conjecture that like uh Robert Smith it, the, the like the crow is modeled after Robert Smith. And he said that it, he's modeled after uh, Peter Murphy, who's the guy from Bauhaus. So, you know, he's a real uh, post-punk head, I guess there is a joy to, or there is a lyric from the cure in this book though, from pornography, the song pornography. Um, it was uh, also notably adapted into a movie uh, in 1994 um, and has had a really long legacy. Um, as recently as 2018, there were sequel comics being published for The Crow. Uh, there's been everything from from sequel miniseries to miniseries retelling the original story to spinoffs that take place in the universe of The Crow, which from the universe of The Crow is a very weird idea to me. Uh, it, it's not like a large mythos and... Uh, Obar has on many occasions said that he basically disavows everything except his work and the original movie. It's it's kind of weird that like, hey, this is my story that I used to cope with, you know, the, the, when my wife died in a drunk driving accident. And people are like, yo, let's make a let's make a universe from this, though. What if we have spinoff books? Like, yeah, huh. got to IP farm everything. Sounds like a DC Comics play. I know it's not, but it's it's sure yeah, it was it was it was weirdly mostly like image and IDW, but like. Huh. When you kind of fall backwards into owning an IP that people care about, I think primarily because of the success of the movie, less so because of the comic. Uh, I mean, you got to you, you want to capitalize on that. Um, I mean, there's uh, supposed to be like a new um, a movie or a miniseries uh, being made like next year. Starring Jason Momoa. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Jason Momoa is, um, is playing the crow. I really don't like. I mean, uh, we, we can get. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that. I'm curious to get into the movie. I know Emily, you've seen it. I watched um, it again today, actually. Nice. Okay. Cool. Uh, Alex, before we go any further, have have you seen The Crow, the 1994 The Crow? I have not, but I I know some of the background around it and some of the troubled, yes, you know, spookiness that happened. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can. Yeah, which is also a, a really sad story because. Uh, Brandon Lee, the actor who died on the set of The Crow, was also close personal friends with James O'Barr. Uh, so you simultaneously have a book that is like based on the death of his fiance, and then one of his good personal friends is killed as it is being adapted into uh, a, a, an actually very successful film 
uh, based on his source material. So it is a, there's a lot of tragedy surrounding, surrounding this work. I was Um, talking about that earlier about how, like I had kind of known these facts separately, but when I really like sat with it, like thinking about this guy having this horrific thing happen to his fiance, and then it takes him 10 years to like cope with this and like make this like, like his opus essentially. And then like they make a movie and the making of the movie kills his friend. Like that's like, holy shit. Like when you really sit down and like, think about it in that context, it is like, huh? Like this is a really rough thing, right? Like the whole property is like cursed almost. Yeah. yeah, which is makes it astonishing that they continue trying to make the, make something of it, but mm-hmm. it is it has a decent amount of cultural cash cachet at this point. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah! Like the movie is a huge cult classic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not watch the rewatch the movie today, but I, I have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit it's been a couple years, but we we can talk about the movie in, in a little bit. Um, also, I'm gonna get into the plot summary in just a second, but random fun fact: uh, James O'Barr. And I think this is actually true because I think Gerard Way has also uh, said stuff about this as well. Uh, but James O'Barr claims to have been the person who originally sent like the original My Chemical Romance demo tapes to Eyeball Records, uh, which is the first record label that uh, signed the band My Chemical Romance. Um, and then he also later, much, much later, uh, did a variant cover for Gerard Way's Doom Patrol. Uh, in 2016. And then he complained about how long it took DC Comics to pay him for, for the variant <laughs> cover. He said it took like three months for them to, to pay him for it, which is extremely fucked. But, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I had never heard this before, and when I uh, when I read over the notes earlier, I was so excited to see this. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I had also never heard this until uh, yesterday when I was reading some of the interviews with James O'Barr, uh, and he said that. And he basically said, like, they sent it to me because they knew that – they sent it to me because, like, a lot of bands sent me demos because they knew that I knew some guys because of my – because he was – um in a band in the 90s that was on actually Trent Reznor's record label. So he has like some connections to the sort okay. of like goth emo music, like industrial music scene. Uh, and he said that he basically thought their music was shit and he didn't like it, but he knew that there were people, it didn't connect with him personally, but he knew there were a lot of people out there who actually would connect with it. And he felt like there would be a huge audience for it that and it would be meaningful to people. And so he wanted to like, you know, pass it on and give them a chance. And to that, I have to say, if that is true, which I, I suspect it is given, you know, some stuff. I Googled it. A, I did a try to do a little bit of poking around to see if like anyone from the band has said this. And it seems like it's somewhat substantiated by at least Gerard Way uh, mm-hmm. in interviews that he did around Doom Patrol. Um, so it seems true. And in that case, thank you, James O'Barr. I love the crow, but your greatest contribution to my life, in fact, is not that, but uh, the the band My Chemical Romance. So, so I have true, to, so true. Yeah. So uh, you know, somebody who has had an impact on my life in more ways than one, uh, I suppose we can say. Incredible. Um, but yeah, the crow is the story of a man named Eric. I think in the comic he doesn't have a last name, but in the movie he is given the last name Craven. Draven. Which, Draven. Yes, not Craven. I sorry. I've been thinking about Craven the Hunter because. Uh, 
as you do, as one does. Eric Draven, yes. Um, Sorry, I thought that would go with Craven the Hunter. Fucking Craven the Hunter. I'm just like thinking about Craven the Hunter. Well, now yeah, I'm no, but I just wanted. It. I wanted to imply that you were thinking about fucking okay. Craven the Hunter. Would he That's wear? What I was for. Hmm. Never mind. It's best not to. Continue. <laughs> best not to say. Hmm. They should make Peter Parker fuck Craven the Hunter. I think that'd be fun. So true. But anyway, um, the crow is about this guy named the the original my buddy Eric meme, uh, who is a man who, as we've alluded to, uh, is killed during a run-in with gang members. He is shot uh, twice in the head. Named after the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Yeah. I did not know that, but that's, I it, guess, checks out. He mentions in, uh, James O'Barr mentions in the, I read the author's edition of this book, which I actually paid for because, um, the cursed site copy doesn't have fucking page numbers and I was going to be totally lost if I didn't have like a way to gauge how far I was into the book aside from where my cursor was on my phone. So uh, the, the scroll bar. So I, I bought the author's edition of this book and in the uh, the like his letter in the front, he mentions that Eric is named after the fam of the opera and Shelley is named after Mary Shelley. You know, huh. I I guess okay, interesting. There's a lot of um literary and like symbolic allusions in this book that I think mm-hmm. if I thought about them for longer, I I would have some interesting things to say, but I'm like uh three drinks deep and uh did not do that, so <laughs> sorry. Uh Anyway, Eric, he gets shot in the head twice, and he's paralyzed, and as we alluded to, his uh, fiance is raped and murdered. Uh, he later ends up dying. I believe she is um, murdered and then raped. Well, and she's raped and then murdered and then raped again. Okay. I think if we want to be technical about the, the they just of they, they, they make like, sure yeah. to bring up the necrophilia thing more than yeah. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, they, they want you to know that, yeah, there was necrophilia in this book. And not the good kind. Um, so, despite later dying on the operating table, uh, Eric does get resurrected by an, a seemingly omnipotent crow um, who imbues him with mystical powers and urges him to take revenge on the gang members who committed this, you know, really atrocious act of violence. Uh, so over the course of the book, we see him hunting them down and sort of killing them one by one, uh, torturing some of them to make them get other ones in places where he can kill them. There's a lot of um, table setting for basically him in the end, just murdering everybody uh, over the course of the book, he also meets a young girl named Sherry, um, who sort of reminds him of, of his fiance, and he sort of tries to help her out um, in the course of, you know, taking down his his enemies. Uh, he also uh, spends a lot of time reminiscing about, you know, times when his life was better, uh, which uh, this this crow that's sort of occasionally shown to be on his shoulder uh, admonishes him for sort of, you know, tells him to let it go and just focus on his, you know, righteous quest. Um, and then at the end, there's a climactic showdown with the, the gang members that are left over. 
Eric, of course, kills them all in some pretty cool ways, if we're being honest. Um, and after killing them, he heads to the cemetery where Shelley is buried, and it's implied that he uh, ends the story by committing suicide. Um, or maybe it's like he, the crow takes away his powers, which are keeping. It's it's a little bit. It's it's kind of vague what happens at the end, but I, I read it that he finally like decides to die. Yeah, be suicide, but it's more like he got shot so many times and all that. So it is. It is. I think it is fair to read it as being suicide, even if like literally it is not like him killing himself. Yeah, it is like a conscious decision to for his life to end. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of this is sort of told out of sequence. Um, the specific scene of like what actually happened, the inciting incident, actually comes in issue five. The book actually opens on him just going after like a couple gang members, and it's it, it sort of unfolds over time what happens. But I think for plot summary purposes, it's easier to just explain it in chronological order rather than in the sequence that it that it happens in the book. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the basics of the crow. Um, I guess we can we can get into it more. But before I guess before we get into some of the specifics, like. We've touched on this a little bit, but have you guys read it before or seen the movie or were you aware of it as this like cultural touchstone? Just what was your uh, impression of it or understanding of it as a cultural cultural artifact before we decided to to do it for the show? Uh, I had a uh, shitty boyfriend when I was in high school who really liked the movie. So I watched it when I was like 15 or 16. And uh, I also read the comic uh, around that time. Uh, I feel like I liked it. um, But I was just like, too young to really like, I don't want to say comprehend it because it's really not like it's not like it's that deep but it's also not not deep i but but like i i didn't i i feel like i uh it made more of an impression or like i like followed better understood better uh reading it as an adult rather than a a a shitty teen uh but yeah i mean you know it's a it's a, a cult classic property um uh, most people are aware of the the tragedy of uh that that's kind of the thing of, the only thing most people know uh if they haven't seen the or read any of it is uh the the brandon lee thing yeah but, um what that's, about you that's alex all I, that's all i knew about it yeah the brandon lee thing and then the fact that it was like um a cult classic i actually didn't know it was a comic book first Oh, okay. Um, until we were actually like reading it. So I was like, oh, like how does this tie into the movie or how does it go? But okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. So first you, time were, you were just more like uh, familiar with it as a, an entity that existed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, what about uh, you, John? Uh, you picked a very opportune, inopportune time to ask me that. Um, I mean, you didn't have to say anything about it. You could have just edited that out. <laughs> Fuck. I still can. That's two. Um, I uh, read The Crow in high school. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but sometime around the time I was getting into comics, I read The Crow. Um, I did not see the movie until much later. I uh, have a close friend who I met in college who was a huge fan of The Crow. uh, And I watched the movie... 
I think for the first time up on his recommendation, um, and but yeah, I, I I knew it had been adapted into a movie previously, but I was it was one of those things where I was like, oh, movie adaptation of a comic, it probably sucked. I did not know about the Brandon Lee thing until after I had seen the movie, and he told me about it. What like he explained it to me. Um, so I guess I'm the guy, I'm like the weird guy who doesn't know about, you know, the important cultural <laughs> moments around this you stuff. Didn't, um, you didn't know that the movie was like a cult classic or? No, I, I knew it was, a, it had been adapted into a movie, but I knew nothing about the movie. I just assumed it sucked because. That's so funny. At the time, like most comic book adaptations. No, that's uh, extremely fair. Were thought to have sucked. Um, the movie does rock. Uh, the movie is incredible. I, lo- oh, I do yeah. love the movie. Absolutely rules. Um, but but I was a I was a I was a comic guy first, and then a a film guy, which is kind of like you know that is my the story of my life is I was a like big comic book head in like high school, and then became a, a movie guy in, in college. <laughs> so it does kind of fit the rest of my path. But yeah, I uh, I really liked it in high school because obviously you like the stuff about an edgy guy with long hair and a trench coat who kills a bunch of guys. Cause that shit is fucking epic. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the Rorschach effect in a way, although, you know, in slightly, slightly different context contextually. Yeah. I, um, it did. I did have the thought at one point while reading the comic that I like a lot of his narration, you, you could, you could ask me to distinguish it from Rorschach and like, honestly, I'd only be able to because so, the crow doesn't use slurs. Jeez. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, that is actually one of the things a little harsher uh, that I actually yeah. feel, but like it just, it, well, it, he's kind of like if Rorschach didn't suck sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually one of the things I did want to get into is like reading it th- through this time, like, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of similarities you can draw between Rorschach and The Crow in particular. Uh, But also, like, there is a continuing sort of, like, smiley face motif throughout the book. Uh, One of the the gang members has, like, a smiley face tattoo that looks like the comedian button. Uh, You see it on uh, The Crow's wall at one point. Um, And then, obviously, there's also the the use of those like the real world like song lyrics and the start and finish of, of the issues which obviously alan moore did that with with watchmen um the thing that i'm actually interested there though is not so much like oh the crow is inspired by watchmen like i think anyone who reads both of those books could tell you that but i'm curious like how you feel about the sort of ideological underpinnings of the crow especially compared to a character like rorschach and how intentional because i think we can all agree that like the things that Alan Moore does in Watchmen with Rorschach are all very intentional and come from a very considered perspective. And I'm curious how you felt about the crow in that regard and James O'Barr's portrayal of the crow, the, 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 the Eric's character, the crow's character uh, on some of those like similar themes and topics. I gotta say that, this book um absolutely rocks. I had a great great time rereading it. Um but also the portrayal of the gang members in this book 
is um I would generously describe as uncomfortable sometimes. And it does give it does it does feel like it wasn't trying to be that way if that makes sense like but it it does uh it does bring sort of like an ideological bent to what is ha happening especially uh taking into consideration the fact that like even though this is based on the real death of his fiance. Like none of the shit that happens happened in real life. So like he's creating this uh like out of whole cloth. Um There is yeah, I I I I'm kind of of two minds about it because on the one hand I understand that you can't really make this comic and have Shelly die of drunk driving because no, sure, obviously yeah. the things that the crow does to the gang members, like if you did that to a guy who killed somebody while drunk driving, like, yeah, you would be the psychopath in that scenario. Like that is obviously just so. No, absolutely. But especially like setting the book in Detroit and making it about like a bunch of black gang members who just, seemingly do horrific things for no actual reason. Yeah. Uh, it, it is very much of the Reagan era of, of how crime mm -hmm. was discussed in a way that like Rorschach is very obviously, and I, I hate to keep going back to Rorschach, but it is the most obvious, like direct no, like, cultural touchstone. You're absolutely Rorschach right. It's very obviously a parody of and satirizing like right wing, like reactionary tendencies in America in, in mm -hmm. the eighties. And, and even in the UK and the Thatcher era as well. Um, the crow, I'm not sure is as interested in the satire aspect of that and is more, uh, a response like it is a response to gang violence but it is like a reactionary one that seemingly buys into a lot of the myths uh, uh like the media myths around yes. like how gang violence played out at the time and also there's no attempt what struck me so strikes me so much about the crow is like there is no attempt at uh portraying him in any way that is not heroic necessarily. Like he ha is seemingly like righteous in what he does. And you could say like, okay, well to an extent there's like this sort of schizophrenia element where like he maybe is imagining this crow. It's, it's not visible to the other, none of the other characters ever acknowledge it, even though it's there, but also he still does have superpowers of, of some kind. So I think it's a, uh, I, it is one of those things that when you think about it in the con in context, it uh, I think the, like the way you put it as being like uncomfortable is definitely. I mean, it, it simultaneously feels like a very accurate description, but also almost like it's un giving the book a little bit too much credit. For oh no, absolutely. How it that's, that. that's why I said uh, very generously described as just uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very Miller esque, I think. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of some bad Miller stuff. It is yeah, definitely okay. yeah. not nearly yeah. as aware of what it is doing as something like Rorschach and Watchmen. 
It, it is this book is incredibly sincere and that is some of its best and worst qualities yeah I, I, alex do you have anything on that before we move on uh no just i mean i guess general thoughts like i i liked parts of this book but overall i was pretty mixed on it and a lot of that okay, interesting because it, it's, it's like such a big part of the book too like sure like the cool yeah. edgy guys there and i like that but like it's just him beating up, you know, going and murdering these people. And it's like, you know, the flashbacks I like, the the nice ones, the relationship and stuff. But overall, I think it's like, um, and I, I mean, I, had to, I did have the context going in that like, okay, this is like his, him dealing with, with trauma. So it's not like, not really my way to say like, oh, it's, you know, not a good way of doing that. But um, yeah, it's a. There is, you can feel the like sort of anger at something that is like more like just this generalized anger that doesn't really have like a target it feels very which is which is fair because like what you're, you're angry at alcohol which is not a, a thing right but you're also angry, i mean obviously angry at the person who was drunk driving but like it's such a like it, it, you know he obviously feels powerless and in that thing and then like just the way he's dealing with it's kind of like huh interesting it, it is interesting how much it mirrors the sort of like feeling of like victimhood and powerlessness that does end up motivating a lot of reactionary sentiment. I mean, obviously it's different because like his fiance was killed in a drunk driving accident. It's not like it like, yeah, like that really sucks. But like the, the way that it is sort of like taken out on a third party is does strike me as like being very much in line with, the sort of victim complex that seemingly like a lot of right wingers tend to have around stuff like this. No, absolutely. Um, like I, you know, um, I like, I get it. Like I really get it. I can't even imagine how I would cope with something like that happening, but there is something to me that is kind of sus about taking like, this the, the the tragedy that actually happened and twisting it into this uh like grandiose revenge fantasy uh mm-hmm. and like i said like I, and the the things that bother me most about that are like the the ways in which the this uh, the the actual tragedy was changed in uh, making it into this story because like it just I, I don't know like it seems like such like a a dude thing which sounds really like I don't know dismissive of uh, this guy and and his real pain but uh, I don't know something it kind of it reminded me of there's been. I'm sorry to bring this up. There's been like a little bit of discourse on Twitter recently about like uh, the type of like, especially conservative men who feel like they need to be like uh, prepared for threats at any moment. Have you seen people talking about this, John? I have. You, you know, okay. Yeah, it like, th- it kind of reminds me of that like, like fantasizing about being the big tough guy. Which is, I mean, interesting. I, uh, just, just the, the thing it makes me think of is it's not quite the same, but um, Paul Dini did uh, a comic called the dark Knight of true Batman story, which is about him. Like 
getting beaten to I, I think it's like basically like to an inch of his life kind of sort of like anyway he, he got mugged and it's sort of his experience like dealing with that um and it's it's i remember liking that liking that more it'd be an interesting one to read and also compare it to the crow i mean it's obviously not the same thing not, yeah. not a, the same but you just sort of like dealing with physical trauma and using like a comic book to do it mm-hmm. um, sort of tell that but It definitely is the sort of, it is like a very, I mean, I understand this urge to an extent because the, you have no recourse when extremely bad things happen to you. Like, and especially like he wasn't there. So like, there's this added lay and he was like responsible for her being out on the road at that time. So like, there's the extra like added layer of like, you know, making, convincing yourself that you're responsible yeah totally and it's i it, it, but i think there is a way to sort of like not take away from like obviously his pain and how he felt at the time while also still understanding that like i mean shadow boxing against gang violence for killing your wife is like like what are we doing here to an extent right like you it's can like, also make that, a bit that like criticism. We, we lost the plot it's like okay like yeah what's- yeah, it's kind of like, it, you let this one get a little away from you, bud. And it, and it kind of makes me, you know, reading it, it made me feel that, like, it, you know, he, he obviously didn't say that in the thing, but, like, there there has to be something here that he was feeling at the time, too, like, uh, you know, you know, in that. It, oh, that's, totally. That's I mean, the way it comes across, too, right? And it's, it, it's interesting that it's, like, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch the movie. First, I mean, I've, I've wanted to watch the movie for a while because of, like... The, the spookiness of it and you know you know just, just seeing that because it's like you know the tragedy there too but like how does it how is the portrayal compared to the comic and is it as so it's interesting yeah. because the movie is way more style like not that the comic isn't stylized but the movie the action in the movie is way more stylized like almost um I don't know that like Hong Kong action films would be like a direct comparison, but the, there's a goofiness to the action uh, that doesn't feel like American action film to me. Is, if that is, makes um, sense. I mean, I, I guess we haven't said it yet, but Brandon Lee is the son of Bruce Lee. So is is it he, like? Yeah, I mean, I imagine that that's not a that that no. was not an insignificant influence there. Wait, I, I guess I never knew that. Um, Wait, oh, yeah. what? Until right now. Oh, cool. yeah. But I guess I guess that makes the Hong Kong comparison probably way more. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I thought you that. were I thought you were doing no, that yeah. on purpose. <laughs> wow. No. Oh, yeah. Huh. Okay, well, good to know. Um so <laughs> I was right in retrospect. I'm going to cut this part out and it sound really smart. <laughs> um Yeah, but that is kind of the tone. It feels very much like a John Woo movie almost and and, and how the action scenes are filmed. Absolutely. Um, Like it's got, and there's also like a lot of like really uh, stylish use of like lights and cinematography. Like you have like a lot of like dramatic red neon lighting that uh, looks really good. It sounds cool. Cause like, if you're going to, it is, if if you're going to like adapt the crow, like, you know, if you're going to adapt a comic into new medium, you know, there, there's different schools of thought on it, but like, I, I definitely think like you should try to do something new with it, which is, I, I was, it honestly it kicks ass. Yeah. It, it was one of the things that I actually was going to ask about because like, it is such a departure from the book where like the violence is very like matter of fact and serious and yeah. 
I mean, like it is, it is almost gruesome in, in some aspects, but in a way that is like, in a way that is clearly an attempt at being like elevated action, um, to, to borrow like modern parlance, I guess. <laughs> um, so it is a very interesting stylistic choice to move away from that for the movie. Uh, and also like some of the things that James O'Barr has said about the movie where he, he, he talks about how like, you know, the American, he doesn't think the American public was like ready for a movie like the crow when it, when it came out, which is an, I think an interesting thing to say. Hmm. Um, I actually don't I, I, really I, know much about how it was received when it came out. All I know is that it is like, all, all I know is that for my entire life, it's been a cult classic. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm actually curious because you just watched it mm-hmm. or just rewatched it. I suppose you've seen it before, Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, what the experience was like, kind of like, because I'm not, uh, my memory admittedly is a little bit murky. I mostly mm-hmm. remember that one scene in like the, it's not a boardroom, but it's like the the gang boardroom mm-hmm. where he like fucks those guys mm-hmm. up. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fucking like cool. the, it's the, the big, or it's one of the, like the big uh, action uh-huh. scenes towards it's the not like- end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like the. I don't think it's like the final, final scene, right? No. But it's like one of the. Yeah, yeah. It's like but one I'm of curious, the biggest, I think, for sure. Yes, de- definitely. Mm-hmm. I- I'm curious what the experience was like, like, and what, like, if you could outline just like what some of like the differences or some of the breaks yeah. from the comic, if if there were any. Because I remember there yeah. definitely being some stuff. Like mm-hmm. he he's like a musician. He's a guitarist in the mm-hmm. in the movie. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Whereas in the in the in the book it's like unclear what he does yeah it's kind of not important i guess but um this actually um i I can answer your question also alex's question too about like the uh the portrayal of like the gang members um it is definitely less racialized in the movie uh i would say that like it if uh i i wouldn't i i couldn't tell you like specifically uh if like how many uh how many more of the gang members were white in the movie versus in the comic or whatever because i wasn't like paying attention to the numbers but like it did seem more like the because the main bad guy is uh played by michael wincott uh and he's fucking incredible um and he's more of like uh like a crime lord kind of, like not like the not like the mafia but just like sort of the like right. uh it's less random guys and more it, like organized it, yeah it feels more like it is closer to organized crime than like uh the the gang violence as portrayed yeah. in the comic for sure mm-hmm. like there are still uh there are still like prominent uh members of the gang that uh are like black gang members but um it's not it's not the the way that they are portrayed is is different from the the comic uh mm. in a way that probably made it more palatable to <laughs> to the audiences watching the movie um and also feels less <laughs> gross in comparison uh as a an entertainment experience um but some of the other major changes that they made like the 
I would say that the movie like sticks pretty close to like the spirit of the story. Uh, most everything happens the way like uh, in a in a similar fashion <coughs> to the way that it happens in the comic. But the big change is uh, instead of it being like their car broke down, it's like the gang members broke into their apartment. And um, instead of shooting him in the head, they threw him out the window and um also like some some minor changes uh the the little girl sherry that he meets uh her name is sarah in the movie and like she is basically the same as her comic counterpart except i think a little bit older and also um she like already knew eric and shelly like they helped take care of her uh like prior to Shelly's death, like when her mom was off, um, you know, hanging out with it, doing drugs with fun boy or whatever. Um, and, uh, is she not a prostitute in the movie? Cause that she is in the comic, right? I I know she is in the comic, but it is, uh, slightly like, it's probably implied. She's definitely Uh like, she's definitely like doing drugs with the gang and like, and definitely like, I mean, whomst amongst us has not done drugs with a gang. And, uh, and, and she's definitely like having sex with like at least one of them. But, um, I, I don't, um, I don't know if the movie like explicitly said she was, uh, a prostitute. It's probably, it's probably the implication from her just hanging out with those guys anyway. Um, but yeah, like there, there's some other like minor like story changes that I can't quite uh like recall but just you know like you, you know the way stuff gets changed in adaptation like not, yeah. not nothing that really impacts like the uh the, the story itself other than uh like you said like uh he's a he's a musician in the movie and uh there's even like a song from his supposed band which is called i believe hangman's joke and the hmm. song contains the lyric, uh, it can't rain all the time, which is like the big uh, line from that movie that like people quote or whatever, because it's like his catchphrase or whatever. Not a thing from the comic, which I think is really weird how prominent it is, because there are there are actually uh, experiencing these back to back like there are quotes and passages that are just lifted entirely for the movie uh so it is weird to me that they like came up with like this catchphrase thing kind of whole cloth yeah that is kind of odd Uh, um, i was not expecting his voice to sound this like like he just sounds like a like a dude i thought it'd be like i'm the crow he's like yeah he's not doing a christian bale batman um, huh. no, but Brandon Lee fucking kills it. Like absolutely owns bones, um, is extremely hot and like just totally fucking kills it as he looks like Heath crow. Ledger does nor did normally. Yeah, kinda. he does kind of well, like just, just kind of like the long hair and the Yeah, he, I mean yeah, no, I can see I can see a little bit of like the uh, Heath Ledger there for sure, but um he like he's just like absolutely perfect as the crow, honestly, like just extremely good um i do think um as as awesome as like the fight scenes and stuff the uh 
making these fight scenes as stylish as they are does kind of undercut uh, the like seriousness of the comic a little bit. Uh, just like on a like a like a thematic level um but i it i can't really care because it does kind of own bones it it rocks but it is definitely an odd choice given how the character is positioned in the comic like yeah. there's too much gr- like okay i will be the first to admit the design of the crow with like the smile makeup and the big hair in 2023, it looks goofy as hell. Like, it is very silly. I Like, absolutely, 100%. But there is such a gravitas to the way that Obar draws him. Um, and the way that he does the things that he does. There's, like, a certainty to it, almost. There's a, you know, it, it's like... He does it in a way, and literally, like, there is a lot of, like, uh, religious iconography, and, and he quotes religious passages, but, like, he everything that the crow does, he does it in a way that feels like he has the mandate of heaven when he's doing it. Yeah, like, you know, it's, there's so much about this book that is, like, melodramatic and should be incredibly silly, but, like, there is something that Obar does that makes you take it seriously, and mm-hmm. I can't really explain it. I think it's just that I think it's just the way that he writes the crow in particular that it, despite all of the goofiness I, and I, I don't think that like that goofiness is necessarily intentional, but aesthetically like it. No, absolutely. It's silly. Um, despite all of that, the way that he carries himself in the book and part of that is how he's drawn that like he, he doesn't he, he doesn't really do the like he doesn't have the mannerisms of a character you know, like the Joker or the Riddler or whatever, or like a, a, a superhero comic book villain where he doesn't take himself seriously. He, he very clearly, there's a menace to the crow and the way the crow is drawn and to his intent where maybe he's a, just like a schizophrenic dude with, who's like hell bent on revenge. Maybe he actually has these superpowers imbued upon him by some kind of deity but it doesn't matter because like the way that he carries himself and talks and acts are like, they do imbue that degree of seriousness, right. In a way that uh, does not necessarily jive with some of the other aspects of the book. Cause like you said, there is a melodrama here. There's a lot of flashbacks that are just like him being corny with his fiance, um, which I think is also like, that's also, I think an important part of the book is, we talked a lot about how, like, you know, he coped with the death of his his fiance by, like, you know, kind of becoming a re- reactionary in some in some senses. But also, like, there's a lot in here, and I think you alluded to this at the beginning, Emily, of the you know one of the best parts about this book is the way that it wears some of that stuff on its sleeve. There's a sincerity to some of that stuff that is actually very affecting. Um, in I don't know if you were necessarily referring to to those flashbacks or, or or to other parts of the book, but definitely at least for me, those the the flashbacks are the things that sort of ground it. And it's one of those things where you can kind of suspend your disbelief around like you can sort of decide not like make a decision as you're reading it to not think about the political implications of what Obar is saying because of the way, and that, that is part of, I will admit that's part of what makes a lot of like reactionary media very dangerous, but he does actually like 
tell this very human story of somebody who lost somebody who's clearly very important to them. And these moments that don't feel those flashbacks are not moments that feel like they're not these big moments. Like, Oh, he, 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 like the first time he met her or whatever, they're these small kind of, Oh, they're moving into a house. They like moved into a house and the house together. And they're like painting the walls or they're taking a bath together or it's Christmas. You know, they're, they're these kind of small slice of life moments that, uh, are a little bit jarring in the context of the rest of the book, but I think really are the thing, like they're the gas that like really makes the engine hum. In in my opinion, I also really like the uh, the style change between like flashbacks versus like the main story because like That's a really good point, listeners. If you haven't uh, if you haven't read the book, uh, you should at least take a look at some of the art because uh, it's all like kind of incredible, but. Uh, it, especially the flashbacks are done in more of like a soft, uh, like soft shaded style, whereas the the comic, it's like the rest of the comic, like the quote unquote present day of the comic is in like a harder, more traditional uh, black and white comic style. And it really, it, it also, it, it gives the flashbacks like the this dreamlike quality that like it's kind of doing the thing that movies do when they put flashbacks in like soft focus or whatever um which it, it, it's incredibly effective and it also uh it like the stylistic difference really highlights like the uh the emotional like tone of like these happy memories like the bittersweet memories but like like of happy times versus this like gritty reality that he is is currently inhabiting there's also kind of a cool effect to them where some of them feel like a little more washed out than the Mm -hmm. rest of the book they're not as like fully i guess realized in detail on the page much in the way that like you you would experience a memory yeah, exactly. Which is, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that you have to give Obar props for. I think, especially on very the affecting. Side, right? Like the book looks, inc- the book looks incredible. And yeah, like those decisions are are, as you say, very uh, and, uh, very affecting. And the uh, author's edition that I read apparently has uh, additional pages that were not in the original. Uh, stuff that was planned to be in there but that either like they had to, to cut for uh when they were when they were making the book they could only do uh like certain numbers of pages per issue so like sometimes things had to be cut for page space or hmm. um stuff that uh obar felt like he didn't really have uh the the technical skill to accomplish at the time um so I, I don't know, like, I know that they, in particular, there's one segment uh, towards the end that uh, is is entirely new in the version that I read. But like, other than that, there are just sort of like uh, additional what is pages or scenes. It's called um, the segment is called Sparkle Horse. And it is sort of like a dreamlike uh, sequence where he sees the uh, the horse again from the beginning of the comic. The horse oh, that runs into the barbed wire and um he's like uh, instead of like being on the train he's like up close like it's like right in front of him and he has to like shoot the horse to put it out of its misery i i don't yeah i don't think that's in any of the versions that that i've read i own a i mean i i did not read the copy that i own but the copy that i own is definitely i don't know if it is the artist edition it is definitely from 
some number of years ago. So I, I, I'm not familiar. That, that scene does not ring a bell to me off the top of my head. It's I read it like, too for this, but it, the, the, the scene version. comes like right before the scene in the graveyard, uh, where he, gotcha. uh, you know, accepts his, his fate or whatever. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Let's see. When did the, I mean, it is definitely the kind of thing where like that. Yeah. That the horse, I, the first time he sees it, it is definitely supposed to be like a metaphor for him of sort of like running into the same thing over and over and over. I guess. Uh, the edition that I read uh, was released in 2011. Okay. So gotcha. uh, if you have like an edition that's earlier than that, it wouldn't uh, yeah, uh, wouldn't have contained that scene. Um, Alex, I- I'm sort of curious how you feel about some of those those flashbacks because I know you said you were a little bit. Uh, mixed on on this book on the whole, but yeah. I'm curious how what you felt about those flashback sequences and how you felt about how they maybe either ground the book for you because that's sort of what Emily and I have talked about, or or how yeah. they don't, I guess. In, yeah, in I mean, ways. it's a lot of the same things. I, I really like the flashback scenes, and uh, yeah, it it it's interesting because like like you guys said, it could be very jarring, and maybe it should be very jarring, but there's just this. Maybe it's because it's coming from such an authentic place, at least that part of it that like really mm-hmm. shines through and makes it feel like, oh, wow, this is like, this is good. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's you and like, it's like not surprising. It's not like, it's interesting. It's not like the most, it doesn't feel like the most like groundbreaking thing. Cause like, it's like, okay, like they loved each other, but like the way it's, the way it's shown, it's like, it's, it's, it's moving. It's good. And it's like, you do feel, you do feel the pain of the, of the main character. Um, and you know, I don't exactly re- relate to like the, what he then does with his actions and sort of that thing. I think there's a disconnect there for me for sure. Um, but yeah, I think the flashbacks are really good and, and doing it with a different art style also just makes it feel nice and nice and nice and special there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about how you guys feel about some of the uh, more metaphorical stuff, the, both the, you know, the decision to make the, sort of omnipotent being that gives him his powers and guides him through to crow, but also some of, you know, the religious aspects of it. I mean, at the end, there's a very obvious religious metaphor in the graveyard with the angel, but there's also the bit where he paints, you know, the, the, the Jesus quote on the Jesus line on the walls before he goes in through his, with his final massacre and yeah. some other like religious stuff in there. So I'm, I'm kind of there's curious the, how you guys feel about a lot of that stuff. There's also the joke, uh, about, uh, you know, Jesus walks into the bar with three oh, nails yeah. and says something about hanging. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't actually Which, remember how the joke it, goes, despite the fact that it's in the comic and gonna, in the movie. I'm going to be honest. It feels like a very, um, and I, I, again, I hate to keep going back to this, but it feels like a very weak sauce attempt at the Rorschach Pagliacci bit. Uh, I hadn't made the connection, but like, you're really right. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about the religious stuff and the, and the crow iconography as well. Like where you guys, how you guys feel about that. The crow I think is like strong because it's like, you know, obviously crow is like death related, but it's also Mm -hmm. like, like because it's a crow you know it's not gonna it, it already hasn't ended well for him but you know that you know it, it's clearly like it's gonna end with him dead also again like mm-hmm. it's it's there's like a sense of like 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 there's like a, t- like a like a ticking time thing and he clearly has his goal that he wants to do and he wants to get his revenge and when that's done it's just gonna you know you're dead the crow's there kind of thing um yeah i mean like crows are uh 
sort of like a, a, a have like a history as being kind of an ominous uh ominous bird uh even though they're they're cool as heck um they're you know like the these all black uh the, the crows and ravens like harbingers of of death or whatever uh so that that's kind of it makes sense that it, it makes sense as a choice for the iconography. I, I think it uh, is very cool. There was definitely uh, a period of time after I saw the movie and read the book where I was making uh, OCs that wore trench coats and had like a raven companion or whatever um, that Should I didn't even didn't even didn't even fucking think about until like I rewatched the movie and rem- <laughs> remembered being 15 goddamn years old um you gotta hate it when that happens to you (laughs) right uh definitely one of the worst things that can happen to a person being 15 but um yeah uh i hadn't really thought about the religious imagery until i saw that you had a question about it in the notes uh but like it's definitely there i mean like you know there's the resurrection even though um jesus does not uh come back and and commit a bunch of really sick murder uh but uh maybe he should have <laughs> maybe he should have maybe those romans deserve would have deserved it you know <laughs> um you men always think about the roman empire um but okay that's the other uh, yeah that between the the men always thinking doing like tactical evaluations and men always thinking about the roman empire it's like this is the least secure in my masculinity i've felt in like my entire life is the last week of looking at twitter i i mean i i didn't i the the roman empire thing came as a surprise to me too i guess but um whatever i don't uh, Alex, do you think about the Roman Empire like frequently? I try not to. I, I know, like, <laughs> like I, I don't care about it. Like, let's see, Roman Empire. I friend from elementary school's name was Alec, but his brother's name was Roman. Um, so the uh-huh. only Roman Empire that I would support was if he, you know, started an empire. The, the only, only Roman, Roman Empire, empire I, I would have support. support is, we're doing the same bit. Is Roman. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Roman boy from Succession took over the. Yes, we're doing the same bit. We have the same brain damage. Roman it's Roy is CEO of Waystar Royco. It's been months since Succession has ended, and Emily and I are both still in shambles about this. Yeah. I heard. I heard Kieran Culkin speak in the Scott Pilgrim I, trailer, and like yeah. my, it lit my Emily, brain on fire. Emily told me that uh, she loves Kieran Kieran Culkin's uh, voice, and what I heard was. Uh, or, or she she praised Karen Culkin's uh, portrayal of of Wallace Wells, and I, all I heard was, "I want Succession back." Oh my god, I need a new season of Succession. Oh my god, why is Succession over? Don't worry, so, the the boys spin off his back. So there you go. It's true. I the 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 Teen Titans of the boys universe is uh, oh, coming soon. I think I read already, I read actually. those comics, and I hope it's not the Teen Titans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you went through that. Bad things happen. Um, Bad things happen. But anyway, back to the the crow. Uh, actually, I think the thing you brought up, Alex, about this sort of – you at least alluded to it, this sort of like inevitability mm. aspect of it. I think the crow being sort of a carrion bird is kind of an interesting aspect to this that like there, like there's the, – the crow just sort of – because when you think about it, the crow eats carcasses. It pecks it like things that are already dead. It can't actually – 
do anything about the fact that the thing is already dead. You know, there there's, I had never actually, that had never actually like fully occurred to me before that there was sort of a tragedy to this being about a, to, to the crow in sort of like that sense of like, all that you can do is sort of like pick up the pieces, right? There's nothing, you, you, you can't bring it back. All you can do is sort of like eat at the dead cor- corpse of it. And in some ways, like that's the only thing that can sustain you, right? Is remembering the dead and and uh, that's kind of that's kind of an interesting angle to to come mm. at it from i mm. guess you're gonna fucking hate me for this and i swear i'm not gonna elaborate on it but i'm not uh, gonna hate you for i would never hate this you, this is ex- shockingly extremely relevant to the uh season finale of fiona and cake okay i hate you now but you know it, it, uh, it had to happen i'm not gonna elaborate i'm not gonna go into it but it needed to We're spoiler i, I needed podcast. to say it oh spoiler warning spoiler warning for the crow <laughs> Oh, I didn't say that. Up front, did I? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. I spoiled the whole plot of The Crow. Fuck. As if that isn't he, the point the of end, the podcast. He wins. Uh, he wins? His he, wife's back? He does kind of win. He does kind of win. You know, I, I, I will say, like, I am glad that, I don't know. You know what? I, I'm, what I'm glad that he didn't, that didn't end off and his wife was like, I'm back from the dead now. And he's like living the fantasy. Cause I've been even sadder where like he writes a comic book that his wife comes back. And I, I mean, sure. Like, you know, he's talking about that. They're going to be together, but it's like, you know, in the, well, I mean, that also is part of the religious aspect of it. Right. That yeah. like throughout the whole thing, he still believes that like he will end up in heaven with his wife. Right. Like the, he yeah. constantly mm-hmm. is, is talking about how he's sending the game gang members to hell and like, Give Lucifer my regard. Uh, he doesn't literally say "give Lucifer my regards," but he does like specifically reference Lucifer. He does yeah. talk to a police officer, and you know, after he's killed some guys, and the police is like, "What? What, what am I going to tell people? What happened to them?" And they like, he's like, "Lead poisoning," because he shot them. Yeah. I was like, ah. And then he's a line about Santa Claus okay, that I was also good. like, ah. Yeah. I, See, I think he's like some... hanging outside. Yeah. He's, the thing is, when you have these sort of like ultra violent characters who kill without remorse, you have to let them do bits every now and then to like <laughs> really make them, you know, relatable and understandable to, it's true. to people. He really is the Punisher if he's laid. I, I, it's funny. I literally read your, I opened Letterboxd like three minutes ago and read your review of The Crow 1994, which does just say those words verbatim. It's true. And which I think is unfair to the Punisher because Frank Castle has at multiple points in his life slayed. Uh, but I guess you just haven't been there for it. Well, that would require uh, me to read a Punisher comic, which I'm not, haven't done that. Oh, well, we should fix that. Yeah, sure. I I'll read, read a Punisher comic. I'll read either. a Punisher comic for the show. I've I don't know if I even read a comic that Punisher's in, unless he like we read uh, Runaways no. that the Punisher appears yeah. in. Uh, I guess, but yeah, you yeah. read the Mark Wade Daredevil book, right? Doesn't the, is the Punisher's in that for like I think I got as far as where the Punisher was. Okay, yeah. Should read Punisher I, Warzone by Warren Ellis. That shit is. I just fun. like Gar- Garth Ennis. I, I I think the 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 I, Garth Ennis take on the Punisher is a way better like dark superhero book than the Boys. So maybe at some point we can read Punisher Warzone. Everything's a better dark superhero book than the Boys. That thing is terrible. Is the Crow a better dark superhero book than the Boys? Yeah, sure. Well, you okay. guys seem to like, not uh, like the Boys, and yeah, I like, liked this. So yeah. No, like it's like it's like it's it's insulting on a comics one hundred and one level. It's not insulting on like a, it, what happens. It is like it is 
it is also insulting on a what happens level, but it It is, is. It is astounding that like a guy like Garth Ennis, who has written a lot of good comics, could write a as big yeah. a piece of shit. And and it's as like the boys. it's not even like the art is nice. It's not even like the art is. It's not. Grace. It's ugly. It's ugly art. Yeah, I've seen it. It's kind of ugly. Um, it looks like shit. Do you, John? Do you know anything about the other Crow comics? Like past this? No, I don't because either. I. I, I have not read them. I have seen them, you know, when I'm doing my press login to to the IDW server back in the day when I did when I had access to it. I saw I would see bo- the crow books in there and I would uh not read them. Um because it is very similar in some ways to uh the the Watchmen situation where I have just decided that like because James O'Barr himself is so opposed to his creation being used in this way, that uh, the less I engage with this stuff, the better. But he's um, written other Crow comics, right? Like, has he? I don't think he. Ha- I'm, I don't think so. I, okay, I maybe don't... I was mistaken. I thought uh, that I saw he had written uh, some like more of the. But and maybe, not to uh, maybe I just misread. Not to defend before Watchmen, uh, Doomsday Clock. Um, the Watchmen TV show on HBO, um, Watchmen. Yeah, please don't defend Friends, any of those things. Super yeah. Watchmen Hour, um, any of that stuff. But I feel like in Watchmen there was at least there's like I understand the want to explore that world more. I feel like this one is pretty open and shut. Like I feel like there's not as much to it to like do like a bunch of spinoffs on this, where it's a story about this guy who like. He dies at the end, and it's about like it is written by a guy whose whose wife like died. It's like like it, it feels. It's just, I, I know I said it earlier, but it just feels like such a weird thing to latch onto and be like like I understand it's something that like might have impacted you, but it just doesn't feel very spinoffable. So okay, it I looks guess like there the are Kira is actually written by James O'Barr. There is oh. some well, other crow. Yeah content written he, that is written by james obar yes yeah i mean he wrote um the crow dead time yes. um and also um which and um I, I i should double check this but i think the crow dead time is uh might be might have been i think it was released around the time of the movie no 97 okay never mind yeah, so he did do some other stuff in the Crow universe, but I think a lot of the like more recent IDW stuff uh, is not written by James O'Barr. But yeah, I guess there there is no, there some. Is- other. I would be curious to read some of the uh, stuff that he actually did write. It, it does look I- like the overwhelming majority of other Crow content is like not written by him, but he right. he did seem to write. He did uh, do some of it. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like if he only did this one, there wouldn't be any spinoffs and stuff. But it, it, it must be something that like he opened the door for something, or like, well, he did the movie, right? He was he sure. like consulted on the movie. Yeah, but it's actually interesting because thing, right? Like, there's four of these movies. Yeah, but he is, he also disavows the sequels. Like I, I know, in I reading just interviews like interviews with him. It sort of seemed like, and I've read some interviews with him before, but even just like today and yesterday when I was really doing research for this episode. Reading interviews with him, it seems like he sort of he very similar to what Alex just said. Feels like there is just a complete story that is yeah. the crow, and anything beyond that is 
silly, but um, hey, you haven't seen any of the sequels, I assume. No. Uh, no, I I had I knew that there was uh, the one I knew about City of Angels, which I've not seen, but I found out that there's like uh, two other sequels. Uh, one of them uh, co-stars Kirsten Dunst, and another one huh. had um, what was the other crazy? Uh, Your uh, high school boyfriend was not into the Crow sequels, just the original. Uh, not, no, not that I recall. I guess he was a, I guess he was a fake fan. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> oh, David Boreanaz was in, uh, The Crow Wicked huh. Rare, was the other notable, uh, casting decision. Tara Reed is also in The Crow And Wicked Danny Rare. Trejo? Huh. This yeah. is, an uh, interesting, wow. It, hmm. it, uh, was based on a, uh, And Dennis Hopper? Novel. What? Oh, wow, Yeah. Why does this one have Loki a more stacked cast than <laughs> than the rest of the Crow movies? Well, I would imagine that was it. Would that have been considered a stacked at the time, or I, I, no? Probably, probably not. And it's probably also still to this not considered stacked. But Danny Trejo, Tara Reid, David Boreanaz, and um, yeah, that just seems like, like a solid a, B movie TV show character people. Yeah, right? this doesn't feel like what I presume was a direct to DVD movie. Uh, also, there was uh, no, it had uh, the Crow Wicker one Prayer week theatrical premiere mm-hmm. at AMC Pacific Palace. And there was also because I guess we're both looking at Wikipedia a planned sequel written uh, to be it's ske- and scheduled to be directed by Rob Zombie in the late nineties. Okay, they the should Crow let Rob Zombie. They should let Rob Zombie do a Crow movie. I know that like people don't like Rob Zombie as a director, uh-huh. but. I think they should let him do a crow movie. Okay. I, I mean, I'd watch it. The doomsday clock is ticking. I think they should more or less just let Rob Zombie do whatever he wants because his movies are predominantly bad. I will say this. I'm not a Rob Zombie Halloween defender, even though I know there's some people out there who really like those movies for whatever reason. Okay. But I think Rob Zombie, like, look, if you write the song Dragula, they should let you make as many horror movies as you want with whatever budget you want. No, that's true. For the rest of your life. I, a Um, and if you want to make Michael Myers slay, you can do that, which he kind of does in, in those movies. Uh, uh, Jolik, I have a correction here. You said oh that Jason Momoa yeah, was <laughs> cast as uh, the crow. And it turns out that it's actually Bill Skarsgård that has been cast. Uh, Interesting. According I to Wikipedia. That's, that's more fitting. Um, has been cast okay. for <laughs> the crow 2024. I, I read an interview with. James O'Barr, where he said that Jason Momoa had been cast as the crow. Okay, I mean, <laughs> now fair. that I'm Googling this, no, 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 now that I'm Googling this, you are correct. This seems to have been a different attempt at adapting the crow. Yeah, there have uh, been several attempts he to did, get an, another adaptation yeah, off the ground. He did. T- this is why I thought that uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt was playing San uh, Morpheus in the Netflix Sandman thing. Oh yeah, for the longest time because he had been cast as Morpheus years before. Mm-hmm. But yes, it seems like you you are right, Bill Scar. Bill Skarsgård is actually not bad for the Crow. He's got that boyish charm, but also a bit like a little creepy. 
Bill Skarsgård's not menacing enough. That's the problem. I'm sure they like, can make up him. I, he I was guess if you literally Pennywise the clown. He doesn't look like Pennywise in real life. Yeah, you know? but he's like when he's doing Pennywise, like he's fucking funny. Yeah, no, and true. again, like maybe this isn't like an intentional thing, but I love the Pennywise bits, especially in the first uh, of, the, of the more recent It movies, mm-hmm. because he is such a joy to watch, and not a joy in the sense of like. Oh, he's murdered, like murdered, but like in an art the clown kind of joy way of like, oh, he's just having, a f- he's the, just having fun. The goofy, he's doing, he's a- the goofy Pennywise bits are definitely better in the first movie than they are in the second. Absolutely. Well, the second movie is just bad in general, but yeah. the yeah, but I do agree with you. Like the goofy Pennywise bits in the first movie are are very fun. Also, FKA um, Twigs as Shelley in the new uh in in the planned crow 2024 or as i say fuck a twigs am i right ayo <laughs> bad shut up leave me alone shut the fuck up um man. there you go hi chad how's it going <laughs> oh i guess uh we should start winding down but before we do who do we think cries the most in james obar's the crow i think the answer is james oh. obar Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? Yeah, we'll give it to him. Yeah. We'll give it to him. Uh, no, I James was going to Alex said the crow and technically you're right because that it, like the crow is like his uh idealized That topic. is James Obar. So that fits. Um yeah. Did you guys hear that by the way? There's a weird sound. Do you hear it? I think so. I hear it. What's that sound, John? What does it sound? What does it sound like to you? It sounds like the ring of the Doomsday Clock. Oh fuck! Uh, the Doomsday Clock by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Frank Quitely. Oh, Gary Frank, yeah. how dare you? You cannot insult oh, this, this great piece of work. It is this Gary fantastic. Frank, I'm going to read it tonight. I'm going to read it tonight before I go to bed. Okay, right, you're gonna I'm read the part where Superman uh, confronts Vladimir Putin. I thought you read it he does before you went to bed every night, Alex. No, that, that's Blackest Night, but sometimes it's very scary. Oh, right. So yeah. when it's very scary, then I read Doomsday. So Clock. if Alex had like a nightmare the night before, he reads Doomsday Clock before bed. Yeah, because it gives like a hopeful, a hopeful view of. Uh... Yeah. Well, anyway, the Doomsday Clock signifies the cry space. That's what it's doing it's not we're not reading the doomsday clock by jeff johns and gary frank i'm trying to forget about it but alex has done this bit in a way that makes me always remember it forever wow what are your guys's cry spaces for uh this episode of the crow um unfortunately my cry space is um the season finale of Fiona and Kate because it is the most recent thing that made me cry. Um, Talk about it then. It was really good. Um, I I don't know if uh, well I mean I know the answer for John. Um, Alex, I don't know if you've seen very much Adventure Time. Is this an Adventure Time spinoff? It is. Um, okay. It the the problem with Fiona and Cake is that it is incredibly fucking good, but I cannot recommend it to people because you do have to have seen all ten seasons of Adventure Time in order uh, to Ooh. to follow for the most part what is happening in Fiona and Cake, but. Um, but since I have seen all 10 seasons of Adventure Time, it's great for me. And uh, it fucking kicks ass. It's like, it's just extremely good. Um, 
it's like a it, it is a spinoff for a slightly older audience. They say a few cuss words in this show and also show characters like drinking alcohol. They're going for uh, an, an older age range than that's cool um, that, they, that they did that after Adventure Time because like obviously original. like a lot of people that fell in love with that show are older now. So yeah, I mean, like and you know maybe they were older at the time too, but like it's it's nice. No, absolutely. Like it's definitely doing Wait, like the show the... characters drinking alcohol. Am I in the show? <laughs> um, but they they uh definitely are like doing this with the acknowledgement that like the the people most likely to care about Adventure Time uh grew up with Adventure Time and are now uh adults. So this is more of a, a the like, only people who care about Adventure mm, Time now, yeah, are in their twenties and thirties. Yeah. Um, and uh. It's also just uh, like, okay, so I, I'm not going to get too into it, but like the premise is like in the original uh, Adventure Time, the Ice King wrote fan fiction where he made up uh, these fake, the, the these gender swap versions of uh, Finn and Jake called Fiona and Cake and uh, made like a whole gender swap world. Um, and this this all came about because of like one illustration by uh, artist Natasha Alighieri, uh, known for uh, Bee and Puppy Cat. Uh, she drew like a cute female version of Finn, and like so they d- decided to run with it and did some segments in the original Adventure Time. But uh, now they have. Uh, post the end of the original adventure time series uh they they have spun this off into uh its own connected but separate uh thing and it was just like really uh it was really well written and uh very emotional and um i enjoyed it so that's cool yeah i'm glad they gave you an ending too yeah, and the thing is that, like, it wrapped up really well, but also there's just, like, the the lore of Adventure Time is so vast and insane that you, like, there's still room that they could, like, if they, if there was another, if there was another story they wanted to tell uh, with these characters that they could easily keep going, but uh, I would rather, I don't, I don't want this to be, like, a, like, they're just keeping it going because it, was well received situation. I I would rather. Oh, so like Adventure Time. Yeah, because like there are there are there are a couple of seasons of Adventure Time that are fucking duds because they uh were the show was on too long. It went it went from being really good to being kind of bad to like it it really picked back up at the end. But by the time that it picked back up at the end, most people had stopped watching, including me. I didn't uh I didn't watch all the and rest me of it. apparently because I thought that show sucked after like season four. Uh, I didn't uh I didn't keep watching Adventure Time for a while, and I only picked it back up when the when the show was ending, and it- I. I re I uh, ended up watching the seasons that I had fallen off of. Cool. So that's my, my cry spaces, Fiona and Cake. Alex, are, uh, is your cry space that the Chengdu Hunters are not competing in the Overwatch World Championships? The point is, that, yes, the Chengdu Hunters not being in the Overwatch League is heartbreaking. But I think it's still good. I'm not crying about it yet because that was recording. It's still possible. If every other team gets sick and the company that funds them goes unbankrupted, then I think they'll be fine. Okay. I, I'm a believer in the Chengdu Hunters, to be clear. That's good. I do. I, I, I'm thinking about wearing my Chengdu Hunters jersey tomorrow. 
It's either that or my XQC jersey, which is equally cursed, I think. No, you should definitely wear a Trendy Hunters jersey. Um, as far as I know, well, yeah, you should wear a Trendy Hunters jersey. The thing is, Dallas is playing tomorrow, and that's the jersey I have, and it just has XQC on the back. So it's like, ooh. They're going to lose, right? Like, Well, probably. I don't know. They won last year. But, okay, anyway, this is not the point. I'm not here to bore people about the Overwatch League. I'm here to talk about my cry spades, which is that the Overwatch League is ending. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So it's 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 in Toronto. It's fun. It's over by now. Um, but I also got to see Roshan for the first time, a person I've met on Discord through Jean-Luc. So that was That's cool. Fun. What was yeah. he like in person? He's taller than I. he sounds. He's taller than me. He's like 6'3". I asked him that. I, I asked tall, him. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it, yeah. It was really funny because Roshan was shorter than me like throughout all of he, high school. He said in grade 11, you were taller. And I was like, that was a good yes. year for Luke. Yeah. yeah, it was It was the last good year of my life, grade 11. <laughs> and then we, we saw each other for the first time in person in Chicago in 2017. And he was taller than me. And it's the first time I've had a friend who was taller than me. And it like broke my brain for like two days. I was like... What do I do about that? Like all of my like male like fight or flight instincts, like when you're encountered with a larger male, are I was just like it was the first time those had ever triggered for me. I was yeah. I was terrified. But no, Roshan. Yeah, you tall I'm, people I'm, get fucking weird when somebody's taller than that you. That explains it because I was I was commenting how one of the Overwatch commentators was really tall in real life, and Roshan didn't say anything. <laughs> and I was no, like, that's cool. Roshan, Roshan's been one of my best friends for like ten years, so I'm really glad that you have. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad to connect my friends with my other friends, and I'm even yeah. gladder when they. It felt like a first date that would probably lead to a second date, but you know, it's got that first date. You know, you know, meeting in meeting in person. It was nice. Yeah. Well, it'd be good for it'd be good for Roshan because uh, his relatives always ask him about when he's gonna start dating somebody. Oh, nice. So, there we go. Yeah. That's my role. It's also a Roshan doing? story that I don't know if you know that I'm not going to tell on air, but I feel like I would be fun to tell you off air. But uh, anyway, I digress. I'm glad mm. that that is. I'm glad. That well, let's wrap recording so we can hear this story. Yeah. Do I have to still give my cry space? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I feel really bad for the Diane Feinstein staffers who are really sad about her death. I am really sad. No, my actual, I don't care about that. I think it's funny that she died. Uh, my actual cry space is that I watched the Park Chan Wook movie thirst uh, about a week ago. And every day that I'm sad that I can't have a relationship like the two main characters of that movie. I'm just going to say if I had a girlfriend who was killing people and having a great time doing it, I would cover it. I would help her cover it up. I would not drive her to the middle of nowhere after she becomes a vampire and expose her to the sun. I would uh, let her just be, I would just be chill about it and let her kill people and drink their blood forever. The um, ultimate and movie continue having w- weird sex with her for the rest of my life. The ultimate movie about fumbling a bitch that's too bad for you. Which, yeah, honestly, part of me can understand that. And part of me is like, damn, I would, I would not do that. Could not have happened to me. That's just I because everybody go watch Thirst. Yeah, you should, you should watch Thirst. Uh, We should also, I we also need to get Emily to read I Vampire at some point. It actually would have been, 
if so we're doing the Junji Ito book, so I'm excited for that. But if we hadn't already sort of like kind of decided on that, we I Vampire would have been a great October pick. But maybe I, I maybe I Vampire do is it the, next. Like maybe we can do a I Vampire can be our Christmas book. We can do a little Joshua Hale Fialkov Christmas I Vampire. Okay. We'll we'll figure it out. But uh, thank you for listening. Go watch Park Chan Wook's Thirst. Yes. Uh, it's the kind of movie where, like, you watch it and you're like, any normal filmmaker, this would be the best movie they ever made. But it's Park Chan-wook, so it's, like, at best the third movie he ever made. Maybe the fourth best movie he ever made. But it's up there. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us online at Comics Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Alex is at Alex Hanziak. Maybe tweeting more now that he has a new job. Who knows? Ooh. Um. Emily is at Ampandanata. She has like 10 million other podcasts, including That's the Fresh true. Podcast Market, a real podcast about fake podcasts. Uh, Uchina Cast, a podcast about Revolutionary Girl Uchina, although I think it's about another anime currently. Yes, yeah, fine. Um, but, you know, same kind of deal. It's an anime yeah. podcast. If you like that D-Gen shit, you can, you know, listen to her anime podcast. Um... I guess it's kind of fucked up to call Revolutionary Girl Utina specifically a degenerate, but it's how I feel about anime. I wasn't going to accuse you of homophobia this time, uh, but I thought about it. But I, that is how I feel about an- anime. Um, and uh, uh, that looks terrible. Yeah. Someday I'll get around to editing the... Someday I'll stop being a hypocrite and edit the episodes <laughs> that looks terrible that are in my email inbox um, and stop, you know being passive aggressive about Annie editing them um, on, on this podcast. Um, let's see. Yeah. He actually, yes, Alex at Park Chan looked at a movie called joint security area. Uh, if you've not seen joint security area, you should watch it. It is one of the great movies about uh, male romance. Uh, it's, it's, it's very beautiful. Uh, it's a great movie about how all men can be united by having sex with the homies. Oh uh, Yeah. We love to see it. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Twitter, although I'm, I've been strongly considering deactivating my Twitter account because I keep seeing posts about Twitch streamers and it pisses me off because I think all Twitch streamers should be put in uh, Dachau style uh, elimination camps. Um, but, you know, I, uh, it, it really makes me yeah it really uh it really annoys me that i have to see posts about twitch streamers is is the point emily what are you so, streaming right now <laughs> What's the, are you currently, no no, um, no emily Emily's great emily hasn't streamed in like three months it's like true. one of the worst things that ever happened to me is that emily stopped streaming ace attorney yeah i do and need to get back on ace attorney i cannot appreciate ace eternally vicariously through emily i might actually have to play the games myself no the twitch streamers i'm referring to are the kind who go live for eight hours to talk about politics and also their thoughts about the age of consent uh you know people like destiny vosh keffels these kinds of like fucking sickos that should be you can imagine what I would say next I can't say it on a podcast yeah but you can you know you can think about it for your your imagination, I'm sure, fill is as your, vicarious as Fill mine. in the blanks with your yeah, own imagination. Um, but also, to be fair, if you get mad about these people, maybe you're the one with a problem also. I'm just mad because I have to see posts about... So maybe I'll just unfollow like a hundred people. Okay. And I'll just like do the thing that Emily told me to do six months ago and just like follow the people I'm who are my friends that I like. 
Uh, and look at Twitter once a day to see all of their posts. Because, <laughs> God, I've seen so many bad posts on Twitter this last week. It is really, it, it's pissed me off. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We should wrap up the podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next episode, I guess, with iVampire, but maybe with something else. Oh, no, no, no. Next time is the Junji Ito. What's the Junji Ito book, Emily? It's uh, called Tomie. Tomie. It's yeah. apparently pretty cool. I've never read a Junji Ito book. I own his magic cards. Uh, he he did he did a some he did art for alternate art for some magic cards and I bought I them because I think think you're gonna like Junji Ito a, more than uh, some of the other manga that we've done. I think you're gonna like uh, his pacing better than manga other manga that we've done. But also like the pacing in this is different because a lot of the manga that we've done have been like ongoing series. Yeah, 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 this definitely. is a, a limited. Uh, like a three three volume I, thing, so. and I'm a manga fan as we've established I love manga yep uh, Berserk is awesome I love it when my uh, the beautiful boys in Berserk have sex with each other uh, in AO3 fan fiction oh actually I had a bit for my cry space that I forgot about ah fuck I really fucked up this episode by getting drunk uh, anyway <laughs> thank you guys for listening we'll be back in two weeks um, sorry that the release schedule is fucked. I, I edited the Action Comics episode on time. It didn't upload in time. That's on me. So sorry that the release schedule is kind of messed up right now. Uh, but two weeks from now, there will be a new episode of the podcast where we're talking about that John G. Cho book that Emily just yeah. mentioned. Uh, goodbye. Bye. Oh, okay, one more thing to plug. Uh, Emily and I and Chad on the Opinions Are Cheap feed. We yeah. talked about the Olivia Rodrigo album. Guts. Guts. Yes. That episode, my I don't favorite think is berserk out. character. I don't think uh, that episode is out yet, but it will probably be by the time this goes up. Yeah, I think you can probably go and find that if you're Olivia Rodrigo curious. <laughs> right. But thank you for listening. Um, I'm sorry for making this outro go on for so long, uh, but I love you guys. If you're listening, you're my friend. I know my Twitter account is locked. You can follow me. Uh, I will talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.